Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Okay, let's get into the Word today. Um, This is obviously Palm Sunday, right? And uh, it's the triumphal entry of the Lord and on our calendar of events. It's it's what's taking place in this Passion Week. But today I want to talk to you about the message of Easter. And I want us to look briefly, and we won't spend a lot of time because we're going to have communion today. And by the way, for our communion, we practice open communion, which means you do not have to be a member of Victory Church to take part in communion, uh, but you do need to be a member of the family of God who have accepted Christ as your Savior. Uh, so we practice open, so everyone that's a Christian believer, a Christ follower, you can partake in our communion today, and we'll do that um, in just a moment. Uh, but today I want us to visit, revisit a little bit of the Passion Week. Uh, how many of you guys have seen back in the day, and it's been out for many years now, the, the movie by Mel Gibson called The Passion? You, you guys have seen that? Uh, wonderful movie. I mean, I remember when we went to see that, I just, everybody just kind of left in silence. It just leaves you in a very somber mindset. But that is about as real of a, uh, of a movie that I've seen depicted of what actually happened with Jesus through the Passion Week and the beating, the scourging that he took, and then the cross. It's about as real as what we can create or recreate However, it's not even close to what actually happened because the Scripture says that His visage, in other words, looking at Jesus on the cross, you could not even tell that it was a human being. You could not even tell that it was a man hanging there. So all the images and the pictures and the paintings and drawings and the movies and everything that we have of the crucifixion, I appreciate what they're trying to get us to see. But in reality... There's no way we could really even articulate that or or create that image because of the beating, the scourging that took place. So today I want us to revisit some of that. In that movie, there were three three events or three acts, three areas of that movie. There was the trial, there was the crucifixion, and there was the resurrection. Well, I want us to revisit those areas a little bit and talk briefly about the trial and the crucifixion. And then I'm just going to bump into the resurrection because that's my thunder for next Sunday. And I just want to lean into it a little bit. We'll bump it at the end after communion. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the, the trial. And then I want to talk about the crucifixion because that's really what's taking place and where we're headed this week going into Easter Sunday. By the way, if you've never attended our Seder meal that we have here, we have a, a Messianic Jew uh, that's going to be presenting for us. And he'll have his table set up up here. The whole auditorium be set up uh, as, as tables. He's going to be going through the Seder meal with us and showing us all the different elements of the Jewish custom and heritage and how it tells and portrays the story of Christ. And, of course, he is a Jew that believes that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, and so it's a great 
a great meal. We have wonderful food. Uh, and so sign up for that. That's this Thursday evening. Love for you guys to be a part of that. Be sure to get your ticket uh, before you leave uh, for that. Okay. So anyhow, we're talking a little bit about the trial and, and the crucifixion. So let me pray and then we'll jump right into point number one, which is the trial of Jesus. Okay. Father, we thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. And thank you, Father, for the sweet spirit uh, that's been in this place today and in the early service. And we had a good crowd in the early service. And uh, we appreciate your, your wonderful presence even in that service as we shared in communion. And, Father, we're just, uh, we just so thankful uh, that Ichabod is not written across the door of Victory Church. Um, but enter into the joys of the Lord is written here, beca- written because your presence is here. And, Father, we thank you. For that, we pray you speak to our hearts and our lives and do a work, God, that only you can do. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to partake in communion today. We ask your blessings on that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look briefly at the trial. We're going to look briefly at the crucifixion. And in doing that, we're going to try to discover what it is that God is telling us or showing us through the trial and through the crucifixion. Okay, so number one, let's talk about the trial of Jesus. What does the trial of Jesus show us well, what it shows us it shows us God's purpose and what it is that God was doing now I remind you that Jesus came the Jesus is the son of God and he came intentionally on purpose to die for our sins okay it wasn't an accident it was carrying out God's plan God's will for all of our lives oftentimes at Easter there's this controversy on who killed Jesus Matter of fact, there's been a lot of books written over this controversy of who killed Jesus. And theologians have debated over it for years. Some say, well, the Roman soldiers killed Jesus. And then some say, well, it was the Jewish leaders who killed Jesus. But in reality, it was you and it was me. It's our sin that killed Jesus ultimately. But even deeper than that, it goes even further than that. When you, when you start digging a little bit deeper, you'll find that Jesus died voluntarily. In other words, he volunteered to be the Lamb of God. The scripture says that he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. So before the earth was even formed, before creation even came into existence, obviously before any of us were ever born, before man was created, the Father already laid out this amazing plan of redemption and God the Son, Jesus, had already volunteered to come and carry out that plan. So I want you to understand, Calvary was not an accident. It was not a uh-oh moment for God. Matter, matter of fact, you realize the words uh-oh and oh my or I didn't see that coming is not in God's vocabulary, right? Uh, he is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He understands, knows everything. And he's laid out a divine plan. This is part of it. So I want you to get that Jesus died voluntarily, okay? He died intentionally. He died of his own will. No man took his life. He gave his life as a ransom for many, right? There's a difference, and I want you to understand that. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10 and verse number 18, Jesus is speaking, and he says this. He says, no one can kill me without my consent. I lay down my life voluntarily, For I have the right and the power to lay it down when I want to, and also the right and the power to take it again, for the Father has given me this right. 
So the point that I want you to see is that even before the events started to unfold in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had already intentionally, voluntarily, of his, of his own will, said, I am going to lay down my life. No man takes it. I lay it down. Also in John chapter 12 and verse 27, the scripture reads, it says, Now my soul is troubled and distressed, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour of trial and agony. For, but it was for this very purpose that I have come to the hour. So what was the purpose of Jesus' death? Obviously, the purpose of his death was to save the world, right? So it was, was to redeem mankind. So you look in John 12 and 47, it says, Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Okay? Guys, do you realize that the entire world is potentially saved? In other words, every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever been born has the potential of being a Christ follower, a born-again believer, if they will only accept Christ as their Savior. Because Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. Let's come back to this trial. Let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Matter of fact, we look in our day, and we've seen many different trials that we're aware of. Matter of fact, we've seen a lot of celebrity trials, right? I guess the number one celebrity trial that kind of hit the TVs and we all started following, one of the first ones, was the O.J. Simpson trial, right? Right? How many of you remembers that, that trial? You remember where you were when you were watching this white SUV go down the interstate and, and the entire police department follow? You remember that? You remember that? I think, what in the world's going on with this? That, that was a trial that we all remember. You, you think about some other trials. You think about the Martha Stewart trial. You remember that? We kind of got to watch that one unfold on TV. And, and we're thinking, what in the world's going on with that one? And we look at Scott Peterson and that trial that took place. We look at the trial of Kobe Bryant for you athletes out there and those that follow basketball. Remember that trial that he had that was broadcast for us. For the business people, remember the trial of Enron uh, that took place. What I want you to see is that all of these trials took place publicly and we looked at them and we were a little bit bewildered. But here's what I want you to understand. The difference between those trials and, this, and the trial of Jesus, they don't hold a candle to the circus that took place with the trials of Jesus. Now here's what I want you to understand. Every trial that took place for Jesus, once he surrendered his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Peter cut off the ear of the soldier. The Lord rebuked him for that. The Lord gave his life over to these guys to be taken in. The trial started. Here's what I want you to know. There were six different trials that took place. All six of these trials took place during the nighttime, which made every one of these trials illegal. There were three Roman trials, and then there were three Jewish trials. Every one of these trials were illegal because the Romans had a law that you cannot have a trial at nighttime. The Jews had a law you cannot have a trial during the night. Okay? So that alone makes both of these trials completely illegal. They were a sham. They were a total joke. They were totally made up. So here we find that these six trials took place in the space of about eight hours. They first of all take Jesus to a guy named Ananias. And he was a religious leader. And Ananias then sends him over to Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And Caiaphas sends him to the religious supreme court, which is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin then sends him over to Pilate, which is the Roman governor in Jerusalem. And then Pilate sends him to a guy named King Herod, which was the king of Judah. And then Herod sends him back to Pilate for yet another trial. Now here's what I want you to see. 
Six trials all through the night in the space of about eight hours, every one of them completely illegal. None of them are legitimate. And during those trials, they were looking for something to accuse Jesus of. They were making up different things and they were throwing out all these false accusations. And Jesus did not open his lips to any of the accusations that came against him. So at the end of the day, at the end of these trials, they said, we have no reason to crucify this man. We have no reason to even hold this man. What do you want us to do? You remember how the crowd cried out, crucify, crucify. But there was one statement that Jesus made, which was the defining moment for what led them from the trials to the crucifixion. Do you remember what it was? It's found over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Chapter 26, Matthew says this, verse 59 and following. It says, the chief priests were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any. And then they said, tell us if you are the Christ. Here we go. Tell us. Are you the Christ? Tell us. Are you the Messiah? Tell us. Are you the Son of God? Now Jesus opens his mouth and he says, yes, it is as you say. And then the scripture says, they spit on him in his face. They struck him with their fist. Others slapped him. All because of that defining moment through all of the trials, Jesus finally says, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Son of God. Here's what I want you to see. All through Jesus' 33 and a half years, his three and a half years of public ministry, not one time do you see him making the claim to be a religious leader. Not one time do you see him making a claim that he's going to be the religious leader to lead a particular denomination. He never makes that claim. Not one time does he make a claim that he's a good teacher. Although he was a great teacher. And many said that he was a good teacher. But he never claimed that for himself. Not one time did he make a claim that he was a prophet. Although he was the great prophet, he did not make that claim that he was a prophet. Not one time did he make the claim that he was a moral, ethical leader. Although he was a moral, ethical leader, he never made that claim about himself. Not one time did he make the claim that I am a man of God. Because he was the son of God. But the only thing that he made a claim about was saying, yes, I am the Son of God. Yes, I am God. That was a defining moment through the trials that took place that evening. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If I stand here before you and I say, friends, my name is John Cannon. I'm a teacher. I'm a good teacher. I won't say I'm a great teacher. I'm a good teacher. Play along with me, okay? Entertain me. Play along with me. My name is John Cannon. I'm a teacher. I'm a good teacher. I'm a godly teacher. I teach the truth. I teach about Jesus Christ, the man of God. You wouldn't have any problem with that whatsoever, would you? Matter of fact, I wouldn't have a problem if you made those claims. That you're a good person. You try to live morally. You try to live ethically. You try to teach the word of God. I wouldn't have that problem with you, right? None of us are really going to have a problem with that. Until I stand before you and I say, Church, I am John Cannon, the Son of God. I am deity. Now we got a problem. 
Would you agree? Yeah. Every single one of us, whenever we hear that scenario that I am the Son of God, that I am deity, that I am God, it's going to bring us to a point where we have three options. We get to decide one of three things on the person that makes that claim that they are the Son of God, that they are deity. Number one, we can say they are delusional. You are delusional. You, my friend, are on drugs. Hello? I mean, you are a wacko. You are crazy. You are just completely mentally unstable. You are a nutcase. You're, listen, wow, you are delusional. Hello? So if I come here on any Sunday morning and I tell you I'm God, that's what you need to say, okay? You are delusional. The second option that you would have, not only would you say, hey, you are delusional, but secondly, you'd say, you're a deceiver. Man, you're a con man. You're trying to pull something over us. You're, you're after something. You are a deceiver. You are a fake. You are a phony. You are a swindler. What is it with you? Or you have the third option. You are deity. You are the truth. You speak the truth. You are the son of God. The point I want you to get When someone stands and proclaims that they are God, it forces every single one of us to make a decision. So you get to make a decision about Jesus today. Because that's the only claim he made. That I am, Jesus said, I am deity. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the Anointed One. It's going to drive every single one of us to make a decision. He's either delusional, he's either a deceiver, or, my friends, he is deity. And I, I encourage you to choose the latter. Hello? You can, you can say he is a liar or he is Lord. You can say he is a lunatic or he is the Son of God, right? The choice is yours, friends, and the choice is ours even here today. So what's the purpose? What is the purpose of these trials? What is the purpose of Jesus being the Son of God? What is the purpose of this Passion Week that we're going into? The purpose is that Jesus is saving the world by carrying out the Father's plan to redeem all of mankind unto himself. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says, Christ was truly God. But he gave up everything and became a slave when he became like one of us. And he even died on the cross. And then God gave Christ the highest place and honored his name above all others. So at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow down. Those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Guys, what's the world coming to? We look around in our culture today, in our society today, and we see a world that's simply gone mad. I watch the news and I'm thinking, what is our world? What have we come to? I tell you where we're going, and I tell you where we've come to, we've completely gotten away from the Word of God is where we've come to. We've raised generation after generation after generation, and we've taught there is no absolute truth. There is no right or wrong. You determine what is right in your heart and your mind. There is no God, right? And so now this is the result of it. So I don't know why things should surprise us. Right? Whenever we see different kind of crazy activities in life being completely devalued. Let me sidebar here. I did too many sidebars in this first service and I didn't get through half my sermon. But let me give you a sidebar here. What was the value of a human life before Jesus came? You mean tell you what the value of a human life was before Jesus? It was zero. It was nothing. You remember the 
the Roman uh, or, or the big arenas where they, where they would come in and, and they would watch people just fight to their death, right? You remember how the king of any of these empires that they were ruling over at any moment, any time, could just command someone to be killed and just kill you on the spot. There was no value of human life whatsoever. Enter Jesus. Enter the gospel. Now the teaching is, through the person of Jesus, there is tremendous value on life. How much value? Well, about this much. Even more than that. Jesus died for every single one of us. There's tremendous value in our life. So then we start teaching the principles of Jesus Christ Himself and this new gospel and we're following the ways of the Lord and we're ingraining ourselves in the doctrines of God's Word and now there's tremendous value in life. But where are we today? You know where we are today? We're almost going all the way back to the day of the gladiators, if you will. Because we've taken Jesus out of everything. Are you with me? We've taken him out of everything. We've taken him out of our we've taken him out of our homes. We've taken him out of our lives. We've taken him out of our schools. We've taken him out of our community. We've taken him out of our governments. We've taken him out of the workplace. He no longer is allowed anywhere. By the way, another sidebar. This is a sidebar to the sidebar. Okay. Let me encourage you. Start using the name Jesus more than you use God. Because God is almost accepted. Because people say, oh yeah, there's multiple gods. Right? Right? I don't, I, I, I've started really just almost quit saying God as much as I say Jesus or Christ or the Messiah. Right? Because there's multiple gods that, that folks bow to. But listen, there's only one that died on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's the only man that died, was placed in a tomb. They sealed the tomb. They posted guards there so he would not come out of the tomb. He's the only one that came out victorious. We're going to celebrate that next week. But listen, there is a decision that has to be made when we say that Jesus is God. Hello? It brings power. It brings authority. And one day, everybody is going to admit that Jesus is Lord. One day, every nationality will admit that Jesus is Lord. One day, every age group will admit that Jesus is Lord. One day, every culture will admit that Jesus is Lord. Every religion will admit that Jesus is Lord. Every rock star will admit that Jesus is Lord. Every politician will admit that Jesus is Lord. Every athlete will admit that Jesus is Lord. Every businessman will admit that Jesus is Lord. Every homemaker will admit that Jesus is Lord. The point is, I hope I didn't leave anybody out. Every military member will admit that Jesus is Lord. The point I'm making is every knee will bow. Every tongue will, will, will confess that Jesus is Lord. The question is not will you. The question is when will you? Hello? When will you do that? Will you do it now in love or later in regret? Will you do it now in love or later in judgment? The trial of Jesus shows us who Jesus was. The trial of Jesus shows us God's purpose. God says, I'm sending my son to die for you. The crucifixion, I've got to hurry. I'm not even going to mention much about the resurrection here because we're running out of time. I'll... I'll bring that thunder next week, okay? The trial of Jesus shows us God's purpose. Go ahead and put number two. The death. The death of Jesus 
shows us God's passion. Now, guys, the death of Jesus on the cross demonstrates to all of us God's love for us more than anything else imaginable. The crucifixion. What a brutal form of capital punishment that was. Brutal. But Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. Every single one of us. There's value in every single person under the sound of my voice. Jesus died for you. Right? He loves you. And whenever you think about the crucifixion, you've got to realize a little bit of what was taking place. When Jesus confessed that He is the Son of God, that He was the Messiah, the mocking, the beating, it all kind of started at that point. The spitting in the face. Think about the humiliation. Guys, how long could you stand there when someone just spits in your face? Right? Slaps you for no reason. But he stood there. Pluck out your beard. Create a crown of thorns. Ha <laughs> ha! Hey, if you're the king, you need a crown. Every king has a crown. And so they create this crown of thorn with tremendously long uh, thorns on. And at the tips of these thorns, whenever it pierced into your skin, there was a poison that would go there that would cause infection to start. And they pressed this crown upon him, then hit him with a stick or a staff over the crown to pierce his brow with a crown. They said every king needs a cape and they put the cape around him, the shawl, and they they made fun of him. (laughs) If you are the Messiah, if you are the Son of God, if you are deity, what is my name? What is my Father's name? Little did they know that Jesus is and was the Son of God. He was deity. He created all of mankind. He could have told them their name. He could have told them their father's name. He could have told them their grandfather's name. He could have traced their genealogy all the way back to Adam and Eve. He is God. He created the whole thing. But he stood there like a lamb going to the slaughter. To pay your sin debt and mine. And then the scourging begins. For those of you that have seen the passion, that is about as true of a picture as I've ever visually been able to see. However, understand it was far worse, the scripture teaches, and I shared that with you earlier. But there the scourging begins with the cat of nine tails, the beating that took place. Thirty-nine times that Roman guard beat him with this cat of nine tails. Well, what is a cat of nine tails? This huge leather strap that at the end of it had nine different leather straps that fingered off of it. Each one of those leather straps had pieces of bone that had been sewn, fragmented, sharp bones that had been sewn into these leather straps. So with each lashing, There were nine straps for each one that would hit the body and then it would wrap around the body and those pieces of bone would dig in and then they'd rip it out. Thirty-nine times Jesus took that scourging for us at any time. Don't you know the armies of heaven were paying attention on that day? Don't you know they were just listening and waiting because Jesus could have said at any time, come take care of these guys and it is over. But Jesus willingly suffered all of that for you 
and for me and the sins of the entire world. 39 times they beat him. Blood, meat, hanging there, oozing. Blood all over the soldier that's doing the whipping. A slaughterhouse. The Bible says his vicious was so marred you could not even tell it was a man. So even the Passion of the Christ movie, as wonderful of a job as they did, still does not hold a candle to what the Scripture teaches about that scourging that took place. But why just 39 times? Roman law had it where 40 lashes generally killed a man. So in their law, they said you cannot give more than 40 lashes. And if you do give more than 40 lashes, the one that's giving the lashes will then have to turn around to be the recipient of the lashes. So they intentionally, manipulously, is that a word? (laughs) Maliculous, you know what I'm talking about. Counted every single lash that took place with Jesus. One, two, three, all the way up to 39 and they stopped. Now, 39 times 9, somebody do the math. I know it's less than 400. Between 350 and 400. I don't know what it is. Who's my mathematician? What is it? 351. 351 lashes on his body. 39 single lashes. Cat of nine tails ripping him. And he did not say a word. After that lashing, it's not over. What do they do to him? They tell him, now, get up. You're going to carry your cross outside the city up onto that mountain called Golgotha. And there you're going to die on that cross, but you're going to carry your cross. He'd been up all night through these fake trials, okay? Hadn't eaten anything, went through all that scourging, which would have probably killed a lesser man, right? Went through all of that, now carrying his cross. He's carrying his cross up the hill. Listen, just a few days earlier was Palm Sunday where they were celebrating him coming in, but now the streets are lined watching him, this defeated king, if you will, beaten and scourged for the sins of the world, your sins and mine, carrying his own cross. And he stumbles under his own cross because of his weakness. There's one thing you've got to remember. Jesus Christ was 100% God, but at the same time he was 100% man. He felt every pain. He felt every emotion. He felt fatigue and tiredness kick in just like anybody else would. And he fell under the cross. He wasn't able to carry it. And they reach into the crowd and they grab out a guy named Simon and said, Get under the cross and the two of you carry it. And Simon helped him carry that cross all the way up to Golgotha. There they laid the cross down. They laid Jesus down on the cross. They took the one arm and they laid it on the cross and they drove the spike in. And they didn't just gingerly lay the other one out. They tied a rope around this arm. And the soldiers got on that side and they pulled it just as tight as they could pull it. Oftentimes in crucifixions, it would completely dislocate the shoulders. The arms would come out of the socket and it would start popping. And there he would be on the cross, nailed. And then they would take his feet and they would bring them up. And they had a little, uh, a little um, block on the bottom of the cross. And they put his feet there and they nailed it there. And I'll tell you what that was for in just a moment. But they nailed his feet to the cross. And then they pick up that cross and they drop it into the hole. And there he hangs, suspended between heaven and earth. For your sins and for mine. 
While he's hanging there, they're gambling over his garments. They're making a mockery of him. They're crying out to him, save yourself and others if you are who you say you are. He never said a word. There were seven sayings that he said later in the cross, but initially he just stood there or hung there. As he's dying on the cross, and I'm not going to get into the seven sayings of the cross, but as he's dying there on the cross, crucifixion was a brutal way to die. Matter of fact, most people, once they were nailed to the cross, a lot of times it would be a very quick death of suffocation. Had they not nailed his feet to the cross with the little block, with the knees half bent, then it's just a matter of five, ten minutes and someone's going to die. Because what they say takes place, and I've read this, I'm not a medical person, I do not claim to be a doctor, Lord knows I can't even stand this out of blood, okay? So I, in no way do I claim to have tremendous knowledge in this area. But what I've read is that when the body stretched out on the cross, the muscles in the chest cavity become paralyzed. So that you can breathe in, but you can't breathe out. And so in order to breathe and not suffocate, what you'd have to do is nail to the cross with your feet. You'd have to stand up so you could take another breath until the pain got so so much they couldn't bear it in their feet they let themselves back down and then up and down up and down it was a torturing death to die on the cross oftentimes folks would hang on the cross for days oftentimes not Jesus but oftentimes folks would hang on the cross for days birds would come by and eat the flesh off of the individual that was there on the cross rodents would would scamper up the cross and eat the, the individual that was hanging on the cross you get the picture. But it came time to bring them down, and they were going to make sure that Jesus was dead. And so they, they went around, and they started breaking the legs of the other two crucified on his left and on his right. But when they came to Jesus, instead of breaking his leg, they, they got a, a spear, and they stuck it in his side just to see if he is dead, because they had made claims that he, he's dead. He, he is dead. So they stuck the spear in his side to see if he would flinch, if he was dead or not. Obviously, he was dead. And scripture and studies tell us, and secular studies even more in depth on some of this stuff, tells us that blood and water gushed out of his side from that spear that pierced his side. Now, medical doctors have looked at this and done some research on this and said the only way that the amount of blood and water mixed coming out of his side, the only way that could have happened, his heart had to rip or tear within him. Friends, do you know what Jesus died of when he was there on the cross hanging between heaven and earth for your sins and for my sins? you know what he died of? He literally died of a broken heart. Friends, that's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. I can't fathom that type of love. Can you? But he did that. So that we could have a right relationship with a holy God. And he put something in place so that we would remember that. Before he was betrayed in the garden, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room. He instituted the Lord's Supper, communion. And he said, this bread is symbolic of my broken body. That's going to be broken and scourged and hung for you on the cross. And this cup is going to be symbolic of the blood that's going to be shed. And when you eat and drink, remember the crucifixion. 
And He's commanded us to do this in remembrance of Him. So today, we're going to do share in communion in remembrance of Him. I'm going to ask our guys if they will please come and we will share in communion. While they're coming, may I say this? I want you to listen briefly to what I'm going to say. And we're done with the service. As soon as we finish communion, I'm going to bump into the resurrection and we're going to be done. Let me say this. And I want everybody to pay attention to me. I want you to pay attention as if your life depends on it because it does. To be part of the family of God, it's not just coming to church. It's not just paying a tithe or giving an offering or even being baptized. There has to be a personal relationship between you and a holy God. And I wonder, maybe as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? And I don't know where any of you really are spiritually. Even those I think I know, I may not necessarily really know where you are spiritually. And if you're here and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but maybe you're not where you need to be spiritually, right now, will you just rededicate and recommit your life to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. Restore me into a right fellowship with you. I've allowed some things to come into my life that separated me from you and I just ask for forgiveness. Let me pray for you right now. Just pray a prayer silently in your heart like this to say, Dear God, please forgive me. Restore me into a right relationship or fellowship with you. God, I've accepted your Son as my Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross where my sins were buried. You rose again. God, I believe that. But I've gotten busy in life and I've allowed some other things to come into my life. And right now, I just want to give my heart and my life back to you. I want you to be my Lord and be my Savior. Forgive me. If you prayed that prayer, I just want you to know that God has forgiven you. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. Maybe someone is here today and and you say, Preacher, I'm just not sure. I I just don't know that if I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I I want to. I'm just not sure. Oh, how I want to be a believer. And it's as simple as this. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He lived a sinless life, born of a virgin. He hung on the cross and paid your sin debt and mine. He was buried and three days later He came out of that tomb victoriously. He ascended to God the Father. There He's making intercession for you. And just repent of your sins. Say, dear God, I have sinned. Let me help you. Pray something like this. Say, dear God, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You died on the cross for my sins. You were buried. You rose again. I believe that. And now I confess my sins to you. God, forgive me. I repent and confess my sins to you. Come into my life. Apply the blood of Jesus to my life. Create in me a new person, a new spirit. 
forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you prayed a prayer like that, I just want to say welcome to the family of God. That's what it's about. Father, I pray for anyone that prayed either of these prayers today. That you give them the reassurance of their salvation. You help them to know that all is well with them because they placed their faith in you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Father, now we come to communion. Carrying out this ordinance of the gospel. In pure obedience. In reverence to what you've called us to do. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, bless the cup, bless the bread, bless those who partake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our men will serve you the bread and then serve you the cup. For those that are going to partake, just take the bread, take the cup, hold it, and then we will all take communion together, okay? of the body of Christ that was broken for the sins of the world. The cup that you hold is symbolic of the blood that was shed. The only way that water and blood could have commingled in the chest cavity during the crucifixion when they pierced his side and it came gushing out was for the heart of our Lord to literally explode, break, tear, because of His love for you. So, today, let's eat and drink in remembrance of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Father, We're so grateful for this wonderful ordinance of the gospel that you've allowed us to share. Thank you for your presence and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this wonderful observance of communion that brings us back to the basic foundation of the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Thank you for the sins that have been redeemed. Thank you, God, for the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to let them keep playing that softly. If you will, take your cups, pass them to the end row. Our guys will get those for you. They're just going to continue to play and then we'll stand and sing here in a moment, and uh, I'll be done. I think Brother John's got something else he needs to do. The question is, what now? How do we respond to what we've just experienced, what we've just heard? Whenever we think about the trial and we think about the death, 
message. And next Sunday, I'm going to share a lot more about the resurrection. But what now? I want you to put the next slide up, if you would, please. Three things we must do. Number one, this should drive us to love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else in our life. To realize what He has done for us. To realize the scourging, the beating, the dying on the cross for sin. It should call us, cause us to fall in love with Jesus like we never have before. Amen? Now he's willing to die. And his heart literally explodes for us. God, this ought to make us love Him. The second thing, it should make us hate sin. Because what was it that ultimately placed him on the cross? It was sin. Right? The sins of the people. Living life without God. Making decisions without God. Not trusting in him at all. Sin. And I'm not going to start naming sin. There's too many to name. I would leave some out. and That's one you're in. You would think it's acceptable. Amen? <laughs> So I'm not even going to start listing sin. You know what it is. Anything in our heart. That ought to be our prayer in our daily time with the Lord. God, search me. If there's any area in my life that you're not pleased with, reveal it to me. Here's an old-fashioned word we ought to pray for. Convict me of that. Right? And then lead me to repent of that. We ought to hate sin, church. Right? We ought to hate it. Because what it does to us, how it separates us from God, for all that it calls God, and especially His Son Jesus on the cross, for what it does to families, it's sin. We ought to hate it. And the third thing, we ought to tell others. Guys, we're, this is Easter week. It's here, right? It's here. Next Sunday's Easter Sunday. This is the easiest week in the world to invite folks to church. Now, I know every single one of us know people that do not attend church on Sunday, right? They're not affiliated with any church. They're not involved in any church. This is the easiest week in the entire church, cal entire calendar year to invite someone to church. So I want you to think about your coworkers, and I want you to think about your neighbors, and I want you to think about your friends and share this with them, what God has done for us, right? And invite them to church. Say, hey, next Sunday we're going to celebrate. And it is a celebration next Sunday. I know today was a little somber. Whenever we talk about the crucifixion, I mean, it has to be. But next Sunday is the resurrection. Let me tell you something about the resurrection. The tomb of Jesus is the only tomb that I know of in history that when he died was placed in the grave, they posted guards there in case he came out. How many guards are posted when someone dies around here because of fear of them coming out? Right? Resurrections next week. We're going to celebrate next Sunday. So let's invite our family, invite our friends, and let's do all we can to bring someone with us next week. Let's be intentional this week to tell other people about this wonderful thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and how it's totally transformed our lives. Amen? So let's do all we can to share that, okay? God bless you all. I am done. I think... Uh
Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.